Um, when I was in college, I had to read a book for a class called Branding uh, Pays, right? Branding Pays. And, and the whole idea of this book was that every single person, not just companies, but even you as an individual, has your own personal brand, right? And you're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. So you're reading through this book, and it keeps saying, you know, everything you do as a person goes to make up your brand, right? Whatever it is that it is. So any post you make on social media, uh, any of the conversations you have with people, what you do for a living, uh, your hobbies, these all go together to build your brand, right? And uh, it was kind of a challenging, It was honestly, it was kind of a weird book to read, and I wasn't entirely sure what, I was like, all right, what are we reading this book for in college now, but um, the idea is uh, leaving a legacy, right? What are you known for? What are you remembered for? And, and I remember as a freshman in high school, sitting in a Bible class, and my Bible teacher, he's a, a great man, he, he was talking about this idea of leaving a legacy. When, when your time on this earth is done, how are people going to remember you? And he, he challenges us as freshmen, if you could think back for a minute to your freshman year of high school, or, or you students, where you're at right now, and you think about leaving a legacy, when you're when you're a freshman, you're like this just doesn't even make sense. All you're worried about is you know what's coming out next in theaters, playing video games, and hanging out with your friends. You're not thinking a legacy to be left. But uh, my teacher really implanted that idea in our hearts and our minds. You know, leave a legacy. And today I want to challenge each of us that we would leave a legacy of faith. Right, we've been working through this series in Hebrews, Heroes from Hebrews, and we're looking at people who have left a legacy, a legacy of walking in faith uh, with God. And what an awesome uh, legacy that is to, to live. And, and this last week at Lake Ann, I was just really uh, encouraged and challenged myself while we were there to, to walk closely with the Lord and to not underestimate what God can do uh, through his people and through uh, me as as a person and through his church. And so let that be an encouragement and challenge to you. This sermon, as I was up at Lake Ann, prepping and studying, this is one that God really put on my heart uh, from the get-go. He said, you know what, this, this is a message you're going to share with Village, but this is a message that you need to hear first. This is a message that's going to hit your heart. And so I pray this morning that each of you would be able to walk away with an encouragement and a challenge in your own walk with the Lord uh, after hearing from God's word this morning. So I'd ask now that you just uh, turn in prayer with me, and then we're going to read, God, uh, read the passage uh, for this morning. So let's, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God, your kindness. God, we thank you for the love that you have given to us as demonstrated on the cross. God, we're so blessed to be a part of your family. And God, this morning as we open up your word, I pray that your spirit would go forth, that it would speak through me. God, I thank you for this message that you have uh, really challenged and encouraged me with. And I pray that it would serve as an encouragement to this church, to your people, that we would go and we would live lives marked by faith, that that's what the legacy would be that Village Bible Church would leave, that we'd be people marked by faith. So let you be glorified in everything that we do this morning. Uh, Bless this time that is before us and uh, rid our minds of any of the distractions that we may have come in with. And we pray this now for your glory's sake. Amen.
If you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, it's a Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 23. You're going to find that on page 1008. Uh, you can also, once you get there, kind of stick your thumb there and turn to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. So Exodus kind of gives us a more in-depth picture of what uh, we're going to be talking about from Hebrews this morning. And what's interesting is we're going to be looking today at uh, Moses' parents. And as you read through Hebrews, as you read through uh, Exodus chapter 2, we don't know what their names are there. We're, we have to wait till later in Exodus. We actually find out what Moses' parents' names are. But right here, they're, interestingly, they're not named. It just says, let's look to the text in, in verse 23. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read these first ten verses just a little more in-depth. Starts out in, in verse 1, says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This morning I want to talk about three keys to living a life of faith. Three keys to living a life of faith. And we're going to see it in, the, in these passages this morning. And the, the first key is that we need to realign our values. You must realign your values. And as a middle school youth pastor, one of the greatest struggles that I have to connect with middle school students is expectations. Right? I'll expect a, a 12-year-old kid, a 13-year-old kid to essentially be a 25-year-old me. Right? I put the expectations I have on myself and I transfer those to them. I'm like, why don't you care about this? Why don't you care about that? Right? And I, I fail to recognize that as a 12-year-old, their values and some of the places that they're at in life are very different than mine. I have a spouse. I have a full-time job. I've got other responsibilities. A 12-year-old's like, it's summer break. When am I going to hang out with my friends? Does that girl like me? Does that boy think I'm cute? Do I have all my homework done? And sometimes that's not even a value, right? And I I fail to remember that. And as I'm interacting with these kids, I start to realize, I get frustrated. I'm like, why aren't they where where I'm at, right? I want them to be more just like me and where I am right now. And I need to remember, listen, they're 12 years old, 
right? They're in a completely different situation in life. And I think that happens a lot of times for, for all of us in the church. We kind of transpose our own expectations or our own roles and our own responsibilities on people around us when sometimes those things aren't always uh, lining up. But as we realign our values, it's not just about, you know, understanding the difference between a 12-year-old and a 25-year-old or, or 40 or wherever you're at in life, but we realign our values so that we, re- we agree with God on them. Our values are dictated by God. Right? We have to start there. See, Moses' parents, their names were, his father's name was Amram, or I don't there's probably more sophisticated pronunciations, and I'm going to butcher them because I don't speak Hebrew. Um, and his mother's name was Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed, right? Very interesting names. If you're going to have a kid soon, maybe consider it. Maybe not. You could come up with a cool little nickname, maybe. I don't know. So Amram and Jochebed have this baby boy, and we know that uh, they had had others. So Miriam is Moses' sister who watched him down by the river and the reeds, and, and Aaron was a brother. But the, the king, or Pharaoh, had given this edict, right? And he had said, listen, all the boys under the age of two are going to be, we're going to kill them, right? They're, they're, the Israelites are populating way too much. They're going to overthrow us. We've got to do something. Let's, let's get rid of all the guys, all right, under two years old. So it's likely that Miriam and Aaron were older than two. That, um, Amram and Jochebed had already had them. And now Moses comes along, and he's a beautiful child, right? And this is the context which we're entering this story, right? We can read these ten verses, we can read this verse in Hebrews, and we miss the, the heartache that's going on around it, right? These Israelites, they've been in, in bondage and slavery now for years and years. Remember that they had come to Egypt through Joseph, right? Joseph went to Egypt, had the whole ordeal with Potiphar's wife, and he went to prison, sat in prison for forever while the cupbearer and the baker, that we had those dreams, and then eventually Joseph goes up and he's second in command because he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And through that, that dream, now Joseph was able to save up enough of the food during the famine, and now they're, they're saving the world, basically. And, and Joseph's family comes to him, and, and long story short, they move to, move to Egypt, and they start to multiply. If you looked at the very beginning of Exodus, it says the Israelites have multiplied and a new king arose who didn't know Joseph. And he threw the Israelites into captivity. Years and years of captivity. Now the, the boys are being killed. These are struggles and, and pressures that we don't understand. Right? We, we've not lived through something like this in our, our culture, in our country today. We can look at it from afar. We can say, yeah, that sounds really tough. But we've not experienced the hurt and the pressure that comes with that. And Amram and Jochebed, instead of giving into the pressure and just letting it go, they, they rise up in faith, right? Their faith conquers over any of those pressures that they're facing. And they agree with God and their values. Rather than saying, you know what, the, the Pharaoh's verdict is, is okay. Let's just go with it. Let's pervert, preserve ourselves. They say, you know what, no. We're going we're gonna to agree with God and the values that he's put forth. So there's thing, you know, we learn that we can't rely on government all the time. Government's the one causing the issue here. And oftentimes, as Americans, we get super caught up in, in everything that's going on in Washington and, the, and our state governments. We say, why is the government letting us down? Why is the government not uh, demanding morality in every way? Well, the government doesn't, have that responsibility. The government has the, the role to govern and to, to decree, and it's God's morality that we're to follow. 
So we, we look to God. We look to Him alone. In schools, it's another, another thing. And I'll be honest with some of you parents. I think some of you guys rely on schools a lot to teach your kids to be good kids, to grow up and, and be responsible children. But that's not the responsibility of the schools. That's your responsibility as mom and dad. That's the church to come around and show them what it means to be a, a child of God and a contributing member to society. And how, how do we deal with all these different things? We can't rely on all those, those uh, various ways to define our values as people. We define our values based on God's word. So what are some of the things that uh, God's word calls for? Well, there's some static values, right? Values that doesn't matter what stage in life you're in, doesn't matter where you're at, what culture you're in. There's some things that God says this is to be of value to you because you are a child of God, right? Because I have decreed to be this way. And scripture is one of those. Scripture is one, and that's where we, we find from God what he's called out to you know, be the values that we should pursue as, as Christians. We look to the words of Scripture and we see what God values and the priorities that he set before us. And we need to agree with him on that and not just agree in the sense of, oh yeah, I can second that, but agree in our life. Agree in the, in the way that we live, that, that our lives reflect those values in the way that we spend our time. We value, as we see even in this particular story, life. We value the life of people. And we value people. That, that We shouldn't seek to oppress people. Or, but we value people because they've been created by God. We value life because life has been given by God. God gives each of us life every day. It's not something we take lightly, but it's a value that we get to share as believers. We value fellowship. No matter what stage in life you're in, fellowship with other believers is important. God's word says that it's necessary for us to grow. God's word talks about the fact that bad company corrupts good character, right? Fellowship with other believers is an important thing for you, whether you're four years old and you're learning and you know, what this whole Christian thing is, and mom and dad are teaching you, you're in Sunday school, you're hanging out with other four-year-olds, right, who are learning the same thing and you're growing up, and all the way up to us as adults, to fellowship with other Christians, to, to be in community with each other, to encourage and to build each other up in, in our lives. It's important. But some values are moving, right? As you go through different stages in life, think back to 10 years ago. What did your life look like 10 years ago? Was it different? Were you in a different stage? For me, 10 years ago, I was 15. And my values were a little different than they are now. When I was 15, I didn't have a wife. When I was 15, I didn't have a full-time job. When I was 15, I was in school. I was playing basketball. I was hanging out with friends. I played a lot of video games. I just hung out, right? And that was 15-year-old me. And I'm sure when I was 15, I didn't have all my values right in line with where they should be. But what was important to me and what held value was different. As you go through different stages of life, someday I'm going to have a child. And that child is going to have great value to me. Someday I'm going to have, oh, Lord willing, grandchildren. Some of you guys now have grandchildren. And the way you spend your time and your values are going to be a little different as you go through. But remember the core things that stay the same, no matter what stage in life you're in. So some of you, you're going to take time. And I, I challenge you right now, you're listening to a sermon. And I'm telling you, realign your values. And right now, you're either 
not listening to me anymore and you're thinking about your values and where they're at, or you're just listening to me and you're not thinking about your values. So one way or the other, if you're not realigning your values right now and examining where they are, you need to go home and you need to spend some serious time with God and say, all right, God, what have you called to be values to your people? What are, what are to be my values right now with where you've positioned me in life? And are my values lining up with that? And if they're not, you need to have a real sit down and uh, maybe wipe the table clear and say, all right, let's figure this out. Let's sit down and let's realign where my values are at. And that's going to take hard work. That's going to take a life change, right? Some of your lives may have to look different after today. You, you look at it and you're like, you know what? God has challenged me that this, this right now, I'm putting way too much value on it and it's not that important. I need, to, I need to maybe take some of that time, that effort, that value that I've ascribed to that and, and put it on my kids. I need to spend some more time with my children. I need to uh, spend some more time with family. I need to maybe get a little more involved in my church. I need to, you know, maybe take a step and and be a be a light in my workplace. And I, I just kind of don't do that. Whatever it may be, but get real with God and don't make excuses. Right? It's easy for us to justify where we're at. You'll look at it and you say, "Well, here's my values, right?" And if you were to prioritize them, you know, one through ten, I don't know. And you look at it, and you're like, one and two, they're good. And then number three, you're like, "Yeah, probably shouldn't be number three on the list." But you know, I. And you go and you justify it. Don't justify it. If God's convicting you on it, if God's calling you to realign your values, listen to Him. God is is. A pretty smart guy, right? He's the one who's created this whole universe. He designed things the way they should be. He knows what our values should be, and he tells us what our values should be, not just for uh, the sake of him telling us, but he's created us. He knows what's good for us. It's the best situation for each of us to, to live with our values in line with God's word. Because when your values start getting out of whack, your life will become out of whack as well. And you'll struggle and you'll strive and you'll just kind of feel this tension in your life all the time. You're going to be struggling against it. You're like, what, what needs to change here? And maybe you've got a spouse telling you, hey, you know what? You need to spend a little less time on the golf course or you need to spend a little less time watching the cake shows. I don't know. And maybe you need to listen to them. You need to listen to them because maybe God's giving you that spouse to help you, to help you right now. And some of you are going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm looking at my values and, and I, I'm... I'm in a pretty good spot right now. I'm in a pretty good spot. And that doesn't mean you just let your guard down. doesn't mean you just sit back and drink some nice ice-cold lemonade on a nice summer day and say, I'm good, right? Or it doesn't mean you just disconnect and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw back from being involved in, in my small group. But maybe that's an opportunity to say, I'm in a good spot right now, so God has positioned me uniquely to help other people. Maybe the person sitting next to you right now is struggling with where their values are at. And it may be an opportunity for you to help somebody like that and come alongside them and say, let me help a disciple you, mentor you. Let's have some conversations. Let's sit down for coffee. You know, let God use your life to bring glory to himself and to help benefit those around you. What an awesome opportunity that that may be. So, first key to living a life of faith is to realign your values. The second one is to take action. To take action. So there's this guy. His name is Lecrae. Right? And I don't know if all of you know who Lecrae is, um, but Lecrae is a Christian hip-hop rap artist. Right? And you're looking at me and you're like, 
really? You know that too? Well, I do know it. I don't listen to Lecrae a lot, but I was, uh, when I was in high school, I listened to Lecrae and, and Christian rap quite a, quite a bit. I played basketball, so, you know, we got the whole stage here, and it was like the, my pregame thing, you know, I'm popping the earbuds, and I'm listening to Lecrae. It's a little uh, upbeat. You're just like, yeah, getting ready for the game. You're, you're getting all squared to go, right? So I listen to Lecrae, and he has this song uh, called Go Hard, okay? And I'm going to read you some of the lyrics of this song. I'm not going to try to rap them. I'm just going to read them. Although you'd probably really enjoy it if I did. Um, so anyways, I'm just going to read them. So uh, some lyrics go like this. If you, don't, if you didn't know Christ, would your life look the same? Can they tell you value Jesus by the way you rep his name? Think about that for a second. If you didn't know Jesus, would your life look the exact same as it does right now? If your answer to that is yes, you might have a little bit of a problem. You might need to realign your values. But we're called as Christians to take action in our life, right? Not just to sit back and say we've got faith and, and sit there, because get this, the, the, the lyrics go on, right? So he says, what does it mean? It means that we should be up, out in the streets, not just in houses with our Bibles, summarizing what we read. Man, this isn't deep. Why ain't we doing what we read, right? We don't just join Bible studies and sit there and say, "Yeah, look what I learned today. Why aren't we doing what we read? So why can't we, the redeemed of the Lord, act out what he said and make a scene for the Lord, right? Christian rap guy, putting it in Christian rap lingo, but he's making a point. If we as Christians... Join 18 different Bible studies, three on Wednesdays, a couple on Sundays, and we go and we like to post on Facebook everything we're learning and tell other people, you'd never believe what I learned from my study in Hebrews. But then our lives don't look any bit different. We don't apply the things that we've learned into how we treat other people, how we make priorities. How we work as an employee, as a mom, as a dad, as a friend, or a brother, or sister. If we don't apply the word of God, we're missing it. Right? James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. We don't sit and listen to a sermon on Sunday morning and then go home, and I'm going to be I'm totally guilty here, right? You, you listen to a sermon, you're like, wow, that was a great sermon. You might not say that today, whatever. I'll let you be that judge. But we'll listen to sermons, and then we'll go and we'll just say, I'm going to pocket that right in the back of, of my knowledge bank, and it's going to sit right there. And we fail to take that application from here, where God has taught us something intellectually, and apply it here. We need to take action as believers. It's not about sitting in the sidelines. I had a, uh, there was a kid on a, a team, a basketball team of mine, that this, this poor kid did not know basketball. He just—he was clueless, and he—you'd put him in the game, and this this kid would go into the game, and he would just kind of stand there, just kind of look around. And you're like, bro, do something. And even if you just move, you'll do something. If you put your hands up, it'll be good. And oftentimes, that's the picture of what we do as Christians, right? We've been put in the game. God has saved your life. 
from eternity in hell, and he is saved, and he says, you're in the game now. I'm standing on a makeshift football field. I feel like I should be, like, doing something. I didn't play football. Um, Get in the game and do something. Don't just sit there and say, yeah, I go to church on Sundays. I'm a part of a small group. I read the Bible every day. Those are great, great things. But if they're not applied, your faith is dead. Right? In James, he talks about how I will show you my faith through how I live. Right? But if you do not have any actions to back up your faith, your faith is dead. And sometimes we've got a lot of dead Christians walking around. Dead faith Christians who will proclaim one thing, and then you, you'll go and your life looks no different than that of an unbeliever. If someone were to spot you at any point during the week, they'd be like, what are you doing, man? And we put this face and this, this act up on Sundays of having it all together and walking with God and being this, this great Christian. And meanwhile, we're really struggling. And, and I'm not just to, to rip on you here and say, well, you're just not doing anything. But there may be some, some real authentic struggles going on in your heart. You may have some real authentic questions. That you're like, i got to figure out some answers here. I do not understand this. I don't get how A and B work when... when, when we're reading this in Scripture. I, I just don't get it. And that can lead you to sitting on the sideline and instead of stepping up and saying, you know what, I need to ask a question because what's the, what's the one thing that we really don't like in the church? People who are doubting. You know, if I come up and say, you know, listen, I'm struggling right now. I don't understand how, I don't understand this whole Jesus thing. I'm struggling to see how it applies in my life. I appreciate it. There was a, an eighth grade boy at youth group a few weeks ago. We were talking about God's word and how important it is. And this, this eighth grade boy, he had come as a friend. He doesn't come to church here. And, and we were talking about it. And he just very honestly said, I don't care. Like, I don't see how this benefits my life at all. If I'm going to read something, I want to read something that's going like, to be helpful to me. And my heart just hurt. I'm like, oh, it is. It is helpful. You just don't see it, right? And sometimes we're afraid. I, I appreciated him saying that so much. You have no idea. Because that's something that we in the church never say. We won't say that because we know that people are going to look at us like, ooh, a bad Christian. They're just not getting it. Lack of faith. And we start doing our whole little judging people thing. Okay? And that's what we do in the church. And, and I think sometimes it prevents people from feeling like, hey, you know what, I can come up and ask a question. And so what happens is we, we harbor this, this doubt or we harbor this insecurity or we're not sure. And, and we kind of go over here and we sit down on the, on the bench. We take ourselves out of the game. And you, you become a, an improductive Christian. But God has called you to step up into the game and take action. And what an awesome uh, thing we get to do with that. Being up at Lake Ann last week, there's lots of trees in northern Michigan. And I was, happened to be doing some sermon prep under a tree once. And when it's sunny and hot, trees are a great thing. Right? Shade, a breeze, you feel it. Oh, it's nice. I'm sitting under this tree and I'm like, what a, what a picture, right? of what faith is to look like. Faith isn't so much the tree that you see, the bigness and all the leaves and the branches, but faith is, is more like that root that's underground 
You know it's there because the tree's there. And that root goes deep. And that root grows wide. And that root has a couple of responsibilities to it. Right? Roots are going to be in charge of collecting nutrients from the soil that make it possible for that tree to grow and spread its branches and do what trees do best. Give us shade or fruit. And that root is so important. So it gives the nutrients, right? Just like your faith. Your faith in God is going to give you that, the, those spiritual nutrients you might need to go out and to live that life out. To be that tree that you can see because of the root of faith that's underneath. Well, roots also ground trees, right? They secure them. Have you ever taken a little tiny tree and you go up and you try to like pull it out of the ground and just right out of the ground? You're like, well, that was easy. The roots were small. Well, you ever go up, maybe on your way out today, stop by one of those trees out in the forest and try to lift that one up out of the ground. <laughs> It'd be kind of funny. I'd like to watch some of you try to do that. It won't happen, right? Those roots are deep. They've secured that tree so it can, it can take the wind and the storms and that tree's not going anywhere, right? Doesn't our faith do the same thing? Our faith secures us. It grounds us. So when we go through those struggles in life and we are tossed and torn by the storms and the struggles in our life, we're still able to stand there and be secure and be strong because we have faith in God. And here's the beauty. That faith comes from God. So we can't sit there and say, look what I conjured up. I conjured up all this faith and I have made myself so secure, but but faith is given to us as a gift from God. So when we stand there and we're beaten and torn by the, the storms in this life and people are out there and they're watching and they're seeing how you respond to these things. So they're seeing how you are a blessing at times to, to give uh, rest and, and shade to the people around you in tree language, right? Um, and they're like, wow, it's not so we can say, yeah, I'm this big tree. It's so we can say it's because of the root that God gave me. And it's not about me now, it's about God receiving all the glory for it. God makes your roots go deep. We pursue the Lord. We need to continue to take action. And I, I thought in this passage, you know, we're looking at it uh, in Hebrews chapter eleven twenty three, They saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I think fear in the Christian's heart and the Christian's mind is one of the greatest things that prevents us from taking action for God. We're afraid. And I'm, I'm studying this and I'm, I'm pondering and I'm reflecting and, and praying this week and I'm like, God, what, what are we so afraid of? I stayed up one night and the skies were so clear. And I looked up and there was just a bazillion stars. A bazillion. And I was like, oh. That's cool. That is cool. And I stopped and I thought, you know how much space is between me right now and those stars? Like light years. Light years of space. Unreal amount of space. We can't even like fathom how much space. And I said, wow. God holds it all in the palm of his hand. We serve a massive and powerful God. And yet we get scared. We're afraid. God has called us to open our mouth, perhaps, to somebody at work and tell them about Jesus. And we're like, oh, I'm scared. Because we forget that God holds the whole universe in his hands and like we're scared of what our friend at work is going to think of us. 
Oh, they're that weird Christian person. So what? So what? Don't be crippled by fear. So what are we afraid of? We're afraid of, as, as Christians, we can be afraid of making the wrong decision. Right? You're pondering a big uh, decision or a change in your life, and, and you become scared to make the wrong one. You're standing there, and you're looking at uh, door A, B, C, and D. And you're just looking at it like, this is a spiritual multiple choice quiz, God. I don't know what to do. I didn't study for this. Do I go through A? What happens if I go through A? I won't know. Well, maybe it's D. Well, maybe God wants me to go through B. Oh, I'm scared of screwing up. Like if I mess up and choose the wrong one, I'm going to just, God's plan is just gone. I've ruined it all. I, I went through the wrong door. So we're like, God, okay, maybe, uh, can we get like a 50-50 thing going here? Like you take away two and then I've only got two, and I, you know, better chances. And, and can I get a phone a friend? And we're scared to make a decision because what if it's the wrong one? We're also scared of losing control. I'm talking to all of us control freaks out there, right? Myself included. I like to be in control. But we're scared to sometimes walk by faith because we think that, you know what, walking by faith is going to mean I open my life up to God and say, God, do what you would please with my life. And that's a scary spot to be because what if God calls me somewhere that I'm uncomfortable? What if God calls me to do something that I'm unsure of? We get scared of losing the control in our lives. So instead, what we'll do is, instead of giving things to God in faith, we'll, we'll hold them tighter and tighter. We'll say, okay, okay, maybe here, here's this one, God. You can use this, but don't, don't touch all these. These are, these are my thing, right? You use this however you want, but leave the rest of these to me. And we don't get the blessings of walking in faith because of our fear of losing control. And sometimes we are afraid of failure. And that's just common across the board, right? We're afraid of messing up. So instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith and obey. You know what? I'm going I'm to tell that co-worker about Jesus. We'll say, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Or, or what if they make an argument that I can't respond to? What if I fail? So, we'll sit down over here and not do anything. Say, we'll let somebody else take care of it. All right? And fear can become a very crippling thing. And to show you, there's a new Monopoly game out for you Monopoly lovers. It's called Monopoly Cheaters Edition. In this game, when you go to jail, you actually get handcuffed to the board. But when we choose as Christians to live by fear instead of faith, this is what we do. We shackle ourselves. We limit ourselves. Instead, God has called us to a life of freedom, right? Our chains are, are free. We get to walk with him by faith. So take action. If God's calling you to something, do it. Jump. You may not know where the outcome goes, but, but follow God through faith. 
Some of you are sitting here now and you, you're thinking, God is putting it on your heart, that thing that he's been telling you to do time and time and time again, and you keep making excuses or you keep putting it off, whatever it may be, and God's saying, listen, now is the time for you to obey. Now is the time for you to take that step of faith. And I don't know what it is. For some of you, it's small things. For some of you, it's a big thing. But start taking the steps that you need to take to be obedient to God and to take action for your faith. Don't just sit at home and summarize everything that you read and you learn, but get out there and live. Show the world what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, it's an awesome journey. Coming from somebody who, who puts that shackle on and gets fearful and doesn't want to do and I'm like I'm gonna just sit back but when you take that shackle off and you say I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna step out how often do we turn back and we look back and like wow that was really cool that was a lot of fun it was a little scary sometimes in between but we got there and God is great and we're like I want to do this more and the next thing comes up we're like shackle let's live by faith Take an action for God. The third key to living a life of faith is to leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. We live in a formula culture, don't we? Where we just want to know exactly what the outcomes are. We want to know if I do A, B, and C, D is going to happen. If I input this, if I take this action, then I know this outcome will take place. And we like to know these things, but I'll be honest with you, I think when, uh, when Jacobed made that little basket and stuck Moses in that little basket and set him out on the, in the reeds by the river, do you think she had it in her head that, you know what? Pharaoh's daughter is going to pick this boy up. And Pharaoh's daughter is going to fall in love with this kid and, and just want to raise him as her own. I don't really think... Uh, to me, it kind of seemed like this is more of a, all right, God, here you go. So I sent the daughter, go, just go watch and see what happens. Maybe you need to go watch and see what's going to happen, right? In your own faith, in your own walk with God. Let's see what God's going to do. Let's see the outcomes. And I, I wish, to be honest, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that if you walk closely with God, everything in life is going to be easy. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? I wish I could tell you that, but I'm going to be honest with you. Walking with God may bring out some difficult times. You may be ridiculed for your faith. God may call you to a position where you've got to step out, and it's hard. And it's not just some easy thing. But that's the way God's designed it to be. Because, right, when we're in, we're in trials, we get to glorify God all the more. I remember uh, John Piper in one of his sermons talked about He was talking about the gospel and this very idea that, you know, we in America especially take this whole, this gospel message out to the world when we say, you know what, if you walk with God, your sheep won't die, blah, 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 the the prosperity gospel. And he says, this is, it's garbage. And he says, and I, I absolutely love it, he says, the gospel or God is made to look really great when you go through the most trying time in your life, the most difficult circumstance you could possibly imagine. And you stand and you say, God is enough. God is good. We're not called to be Christians in the good times. We're called to be Christians in the difficult times. So I wish I could tell you that walk closely with God and everything's going to go well. But 
I can tell you that if you do walk closely with God, you might avoid some junk because as you walk closely with God, you will likely sin a lot less as you, you learn to be obedient. And what does sin do? Sin brings out a whole heap pile of garbage. He's like, hey, I'm moving in with my cousin trash and you know, anger and disruption and moves in your life. And you're like, oh, no. And you're like, I invited it in. So as you walk with God, you stay away from sin, you may avoid some of those struggles that you bring upon yourself, right? Just from, from sinning. But leave the results to God. If God's calling you today, or he's calling you tomorrow, or he's been calling you for four years to do something, and you keep putting it off because you don't know what, what it's going to mean, what tomorrow's going to hold, you need to let go of that insecurity and hold on to the security that God has given you of faith and, and see what is it that God's going to do with this. I don't know where the path may lead, but I know that God's put the path before me and it starts just by taking a few steps and just keep walking one step at a time. And we're not talking, I, w- I want to make sure you hear this too. Sometimes when we talk about the stuff, we're thinking like big deal things, like change my whole life decisions. But we're talking about walking out in faith in the little things. One step. Another step. Little things. And before long, you look back and you realize, wow, I've come a long ways. But if you tried to jump from all the way over there to here, that's crazy. You might not be able to do it, but God, through daily walking with him, can refine you. Leave those results to him. And I want to conclude with this because I think it's really, really important for uh, this passage, right? We're not here to just praise the fact that Amram and Jochebed hid Moses. We're not here to just say, hey, um, isn't it cool how she made this little basket and she stuck Moses in this little basket and sent him off? If that's what this was about, then we'd be telling you guys to go make little baskets and send stuff off and do stuff like that. But the very first two words in verse 23 is what it's about. By faith. I think your, your translation will say the same thing. By faith. By faith. It's the faith that we look at. It's the faith that we admire. And I, I got to believe that as uh, Pharaoh had given this edict that these young boys would be killed and taken from their families, and I, I, I can't imagine that Amram and Jochebed were the only parents who tried to save their kids. You got to imagine, I think, you got to be thinking people are doing whatever they can. So why does God tell us the story of Amram and Jochebed? Is it just to say, hey, look at what they did? But it's also to look at God's greatness in it. This is why we leave the results to him. They acted by faith. But God used this Levite couple and their son, Moses, who would grow up in Pharaoh's household as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Egyptian education. He'd grow up there and eventually he would, he would have a heart for his people. And that would lead him to flee. And he would go where God would then send him back to do what? To lead his people out of Egypt. Do you see how the faith is a great thing to be treasured, but God gives us this to show us, you know, you, you see this story because Moses isn't just some 
and Amram and Jochebed, they weren't just there and like, oh, let's just, mm, there's all these people, let's pick them. But God used their faith to eventually go and lead a nation out of Egypt, out of captivity, and all the great things that God did with all of that. What an awesome thing. And so we look at our faith, and, and the, the tasks that God is calling you to may not be to lead a whole nation out of captivity, but it may be to lead a family member out of the captivity of sin as God works to redeem those who are enslaved by sin. It may mean to you know, share the gospel with somebody at work or you're in the grocery store and you just happen to run into somebody. You're like, you know, what a time to talk to them. You know how those conversations go. Oh, what if I bring Jesus into this conversation? And make God great. Take a leap of faith. Trust him. Because you never ever know what the blessings may be of walking with God in faith if you never take the step. If we stand there and we're, we're afraid of what that step's going to lead to and that step's going to lead to and that step's going to lead to, we're going to sit here and we're going to become, well, I, I believe we're going to become a calloused Christian Callous by fear, regret. But the people that I know who have the most vibrant relationships with Jesus Christ, the ones who, when, when they talk about Jesus, you're just like, wow, you've got it. You, you must really know Jesus. And, and they talk about walking with Jesus like it's the greatest thing in their entire life. Well, they wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and sometimes I'll look at them, and, and if I'm honest, I'm like, wow, you've, you've got that going on. But they're the people who are like, well, let's just see where this one goes. And they just start walking with God. And they'll, they'll see, they're, okay, this, this path's done. Let's keep moving. And you keep moving and walking with God. You keep taking action, right? Because you can't steer an immobile car. Cars steer when they're moving. Keep moving, taking action. Walk with God and enjoy the great blessings that come with it. Because this life may be hard, but what a blessing it will be to be in glory with Jesus someday and to look back at how he has worked throughout all of eternity, to sit, to sit in heaven with him and enjoy that, that relationship and enjoy the, that intimacy with God even now and the blessings of being able to share that with other people. So won't you go this week, realign your values. Start there. Spend some serious time with God. Get real with God. Don't make excuses. Realign your values. Take some action. And leave the results to God. And enjoy the walk. Enjoy that relationship and the blessings of it all.